We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Miami, 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 Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heapy Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Carla Navis. And with me today, on the bottom, maybe the voice of reason of our podcast <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, you know, the ink to my yang, the uh, the opposite of every take I have, Siobhan. What's up, hey G? Good to meet you again. What's up, people out there? Uh, on the right, and by the way, just a little history. Siobhan and I really got into the group chat, and which ended with her saying, I'm done with you. Uh, which she was right, by the way. <laughs> that, happened. that happens. It happens. Listen, every, who hasn't really been done with it. me? Yeah, you can mean it a little bit, but not too much. Uh, <laughs> on the right. Listen, this is if you're OG Heat Twitter from like big three Heat Twitter, you know who the fuck Danny Martinez is. No introduction for the OGs. Danny, for the new audience, you are uh you're a staple of our community. And I'm I'm really happy to have you on, man. Thank you for making the time. 
Absolutely. I'm very happy to be on. A little sad that Dose made his uh, appearance on the Heapy platform before I did. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's okay. We take it in stride and we use every day to get 1% better. So, now I appreciate you guys having me on. This is awesome. I'm very excited. You know, he used like single mothers to get on. It was like really like a dirty trick by him. He, he uses charity and like all this stuff. The Juices is really like, they're, listen, they, they hit low. They're, they play dirty. I'm not going to lie. Crowd's been on. Sad. Yeah, I've, I mean, we've I've been saying that for years. <laughs> um, so we have a lot to get to. This is the first MHB uh, in a bit because we've done a lot of hangover times. We haven't had a lot of off days. Uh, but so so we're here together. They listen. They they what quite the roller coaster, uh, Siobhan. So they you know we have the big game in Milwaukee where right. they beat the brakes off the defending champs. Then they go into Indiana, a place that, as Danny noted on his Twitter account, is fucking haunted for Miami. They've won what Danny was it seven times. Since Dwayne got here, yeah, not great. Yeah, they don't win unless it's in the playoffs. Yeah, so they go into a place that's just historically tough for them to play. They lose. They, but it was just the way they lost. Right? They look like Heat of old of last year, which was the most frustrating basketball team I think I've watched in many, many years. And then they play last night, and for the most part, I think you know they look really solid, led wire to wire, pretty much double digits the whole time. And you know, Siobhan, you know, obviously the Lowry impact. How how are you feeling about them? You know, three games in because we have the real up, the real down, and then we're back up again. We beat the Nemesis Magic, who always kick our ass early in the season. I mean, um, I think you said you know, kind of the Lowry impact um, when he's there. <clears throat> when he's there, they they look good. Um, they look organized. They look structured. They have um, a flow for what it is that they want to do. Um, we're getting kick ahead. Jimmy's getting easy looks. Probably some of the easiest baskets he's been able to get since he's been in a Heat uniform. Um, Bam has someone that's um, not only feeding him, but forcing him to kind of push the button, right? I'm going to kick it to you. You can kick it right back to me, but I'm giving it right back to you. Work this little guy. Um, But yeah, so um, I don't know if it's the issue, but the things, you know, that draw our attention is is what the team looks like when Kyle isn't there. Um, It's only been one game, but uh, we expect it to, you know, be a bit more as the season goes on. And so they need to figure out um, a way to generate um, a freer flowing offense uh, without that guy. And like you said, Tiff said a bunch too, like they look like the team of last year, um, stagnant, um, just kind of, you know, not really sure of themselves almost. And, um, you know, I think, like I said, when Kyle's here, they look good. Um, I think the the new, the other new guys are rounding a bit into form and are finding ways that they can help be effective um, but I think a lot of it is going to be on the, the staples, right? The Jimmy, the Bam, Tyler, and his continued progression to, um, you know, kind of take this team where it feels it's capable of going. So, Danny, I think one of the more interesting parts early season, and it's something I'm going to monitor a lot going forward, and there's like a couple of things that we can get to on like what, what statistical indicators I want to monitor, but it's offense when Kyle Lowry's off the floor. So when he's on, they're at 117 offensive rating. When he's off, that that drops to 103. The defense is pretty stable with or without him. Good last year, too, you know. So, I I mean, like that, the, the pace of stuff. And I know that he's new and it's only been three games. But, the, I mean, that number in, in obviously, you know, very limited minutes is pretty jarring. And I think the eye test kind of confirms that. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, playing with a very small sample size theater is is uh, is tricky, and so we'll we'll see. It'll be fun to check back in a couple of weeks what it looks like. I don't think it's particularly surprising, um, especially with the way that some of the rotations work out um, and what those second units without Kyle kind of look like on the floor, especially as as he kind of soaks up more of the of the Bam related minutes. I I think expecting a significantly uh, strong offensive performance with uh, Mr. Dwayne Dedman, who I have all the respect in the world for, is probably a little over the top. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm curious to kind of see how it, it develops over time. I think there's a couple things that have been interesting um, from her, from the, the perspective of watching games in the arena. I'm finally able to get back to games now, which is, has been nice. Kyle's doing a lot of coaching from the sideline, uh, particularly with, with Tyler. There's a couple instances in that in that Milwaukee game where uh, when the, the timeout on the floor and Kyle's running out the half court and walking uh, Tyler through what he saw, what Tyler saw, and all that good stuff. So I think give that some time um, and, and you know kind of let everybody mesh. We've got another you know with 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 Max out there who I I. I kind of think Max is actually a pretty good player. Um, yes, this is, is his, his first like real rotation minutes. He's got to kind of be uh, figuring that out too. So um, I'm curious to, to kind of see how it holds up over the long haul. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to put too much into, into three games, one of which, which again is just in Indiana where clearly the nightlife just takes over. Uh, <laughs> for, for the heat. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I think, you know, um, watching Tyler try to figure that out, figure that role out, being the lead guard in the backup uh, with, the, with the second year is going to be kind of interesting. And um, and I do think, you know, they'll, it'll fall into place a little bit, but that shot Dose creation is going to be tough. Dos Minutos. I'm sorry. I totally Danny it threw you off. I got to be better than that. Dos Minutos <laughs> in chat says, these Kyle Lowry stats are very interesting. When does the dairy talk start? Um, this is this is the most inside Twitter thing ever. <laughs> It's so self-indulgent. It's so great. I, you know, that's interesting what you said about about Kyle and, and the coaching of um of Tyler because then Tyler comes out and says, you know, I've never really played with a point guard like this. You know, which I felt bad, Shabon. I felt bad for Gogi. I was like, you can't do Gogi. I mean, he's a young guy. I know he doesn't mean it that way, but I was like, God damn! Like, imagine if you're Goran and you're like in the locker room, you're like you're coming off a loss. Your offense scored eighty points again because like no one can score. Right, Fed Van Vliet is always like three for seventeen now, uh, and then you read Tyler's like, "Man, it's great to play with a real point guard." I'm like, "What the fuck?" I mean, so you said, you know, I don't think he meant it like that, but no, I think he genuinely meant it. <laughs> I never know, but without any malice, right? Like, yeah, yeah we were yeah. talking about it a bit last night too. You know, the difference between um, uh, and maybe a more scoring dominant point guard and a more uh, table setter, a more you know, distributing point guard. Gogi was um, a kind of score first. Like that, those were the areas where we needed Gogi to bend the defense, to get in the lane, to, you know, to make tough finishes. We weren't asking Goran to set the table and to put Bam in position to do those things. And so, yes, it is different. It's refreshing probably for Tyler to have someone like that, right? He is getting coached up on the sideline. Kyle is, is telling Tyler um, the spots that Kyle sees. And and I think Tyler is 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 taking it in right when we were like dependent on Tyler last season to play make and to handle the ball and to do those things he didn't do them very well but with a point guard whose primary role is to do those things he's free up to score and be you know the natural scorer that he is and also his playmaking has come on um, probably because one it's um, you know, a little bit less pressure and because he has other eyes who are are trained and able to see the areas and the things that 
um, that Tyler could be looking for. So, Vaughn, you know, we had uh, the host of the Weird Al's pregame show, or as we call it internally, The WAP. Uh, he tweeted out, worth noting, Hero was a mess of a facilitator, la facilitator last year, and the Heat allowed him to fail, allowed him to play through it. The coaching staff backed him consistently, and clearly they created an environment conductive to, to youth development. It's what good sports teams do. We've yep. been very easy to say that Tyler lacked the strength to play at the game at the high level. Would that have been easy to say? Would that would have been? I'm like bad at reading today. I'm Stugatz. <laughs> would it have been easy to say that his ceiling was low and they got off better moving him? But good teams are patient and invest in their own decisions. I read that at Curly Poly. But the, the the point is, and I know you don't buy like a ton into heat culture, but you know, I've always said like probably a lot of the heat culture stuff is like propaganda to sell shirts and stuff, right? But <laughs> I think it's more of yeah, that's true, dude. This culture yeah. shirts sell like hotcakes. I have I have I have one, they're good. I have two red and then black, uh, but, and they're comfortable. Uh, but the idea of like, you have this stability in your front office, right? Like Pat and Andy are never like working for their job, right? Mm -hmm. Eric's never coaching for his job, right? Mm -hmm. These people know. And, and you know, Arison is like a good owner. Like everybody's happy with him internally, right? Like nobody's like pissed off at him. Uh, like, you know, like, like Sarver, right? <laughs> uh, so when you have these people in these positions where they're like, I don't need to, you know, I, I don't got to like take risks or I don't, I don't got to do things for the short term. You know, you allow your young players like Tyler. And I think that that is kind of the basis of heat culture. That's not super, because if you look at San Antonio, it's the same thing, right? It's like right. these like very stable positions up top. Mm -hmm. Yo, I um, super buy into to that part. It's the, it's kind of some of the nut jobs on, on Twitter and like just all of the extra, oh, we don't need this. We don't need that. You know, like all of the unnecessary kind of bravado. But as far as cultural stability and like organizational stability, you're absolutely right. Like it, it does do something, um, you know, like you said, to not be um, in a position where you're like coaching for your life. And so you feel like you have to go and make all of these knee jerk decisions and reactions um, to to, you know, affect winning. But Miami has historically been one of the organizations that have been better at player development um, at just, you know, organizational stability, period. And so those things um, are absolutely true and are the parts of, of heat culture that I 100% um, kind of salute and agree with. Like, Danny, we have, like, every, you know, first day of the season, it's like, okay, the Utah Jazz are going to get off to a hot start because they have continuity, right? This fucking continuity talk every, right? And obviously it matters. But like right. these people have front office continuity, right? And I and and I think that that I don't know. I, I think that matters almost as much as like the whole, you know, 5 a.m. practice, you know, Alonzo Morning will, you know, throw Tim Hardaway through a brick wall for Pat Riley, or, or you know, like I don't know. I that that shit matters to me. Like it it legitimately makes a difference. Oh, it, it's a huge difference. Uh, you know, difference maker. Having been around there and kind of experienced you know, the what goes on in the practice facility and the different relationships that that coaching staff has with the players is is really interesting. And I think impactful when you're around it, um, you know, when Spo, when when LeBron left or after LeBron left, um, Spo really reshaped that whole coaching staff. If you look back at who was on the bench for those title teams and then who was on the bench kind of going forward, it's a really develop developmentally focused staff. And I don't think it's by accident. Um, I think Spo surrounded himself with a bunch of younger guys, younger coaches, uh, whether it's Chris Quinn, 
or Karan or Anthony Carter who have been, you know, have experience playing in the league um, and who are, who are guys who are very like, you know, fundamentally and tactically sound. And so having those guys be invested in the young players from the beginning, I think really pays off, you know, someone like Chris Quinn, is very involved, um, especially with the guard development. Um, you know, that was he he was the one working with Tyler Johnson and Jay Rich down in Sioux Falls. And then when they were they got up, um, you know, up and joined the big club. And I think if you go back or if, if you go and watch, uh, you know, Warhouse pregame, I suspect you're going to see him getting uh, getting Tyler loose and get ready. And I think that having that kind of stability actually really matters because that's a coach who's invested in you, um, not just in the short term, but also in the long term, which that doesn't really happen a lot in the league. You look at all the shakeups that happen, um, you know, everywhere, every offseason. That, that, that's just not a thing that happens with the Heat. And so, yeah, some of the culture stuff can give you get a little bit uh, a little bit overboard, but I think that the real culture is just grounded in in hard work and and like caring about one another and you step to the facility. Aspect. It's yeah. it's real. Uh, it, it's real, and I think like you know you you see Bam's development. I, I, I not even just the guys in the roster now, but just look back. You know what we were doing with young guys, uh, you know, kind of before 2014, and, and what it looks like after the fact. It's produced Night a lot of day. Danny. Yeah, yeah, a lot of really good young players. Uh, a lot of guys who you know were on the fringes and became solid rotation players. Uh, rotation players who then end up getting paid, which is awesome. Uh, and I, I think that that's kind of where that that ties back into. Danny, could you give people a little bit of your background? I mean, no, man, I was very loud and vocal on Twitter before. Uh, no, I was. I worked for the Heat for uh, seven seasons, starting in twenty the twenty twelve season, so twelve through eighteen. Um, working on all the digital stuff, I work with Cooper Moorhead. So if anyone sees me giving Coop a bunch of shit on Twitter all the time, it's just because I love the guy. Uh, just mess with him constantly. Uh, but yeah, so I started off on the digital side uh, and and kind of filled a bunch of different roles there, covering the team, writing stuff, um, leading like fan engagement type things, the, all the Twitter and Facebook stuff with uh, with my guy, Sed, who's still there running the show. So I kind of did a bunch of bunch of stuff, spent a lot of time around the team and the basketball side. Um, it was it was fun. I should have led with the absolute. I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm, I'm like, yeah, this is dickhead from Twitter. He's pretty good. Yeah, he reduced you to a Twitter personality. I can't believe I did that. I mean, you're one of it's, us, Danny. It's what I am now, man. It's all I do is sit there and, and let shit fly uh, late at night. So uh, welcome, welcome, yeah. welcome. <laughs> uh, Fezbutter in chat asks, "Is tomorrow night gonna suck, Danny?" Same answer as always. No. <laughs> you know, and you know, kind of piggyback to your point about like the coaches being invested in you. Uh, you know, Dwayne has told this story a bunch. Like, Spo is shagging balls for him, right? Like, this dude, like, Dwayne working on his jumper, right? All, all the, you know, whatever he, the, the, the star he became, you know, that was Eric with him at the gym late at night. That was Eric getting all the misses and the makes and all that. And, like, they have a brotherhood, man. Like, you know, I think maybe Pat's relationship with Dwayne was a little bit rocky at all times. But I think that the Eric relationship with Dwayne was, was really solid. And you can kind of see when he came back that, I think the two happiest people were like Justice and, and, and Spo. Justice was fucking happy. And Spo was just, I mean, Spo, listen, Spo is like this very stoic, like poker face kind of guy. Yeah. He'll only show you what he wants. That dude was legitimately fucking like he was effervescent when Dwayne came back. It was really cool to see. That's what um Jimmy's agent, though. Like, then he speak about that. That was one of the things that that like drew Jimmy to it, which is the structure, the, the organizational stability, the family kind of like all for one type of mentality they've done I mean, some look, shit siobhan go ahead danny i was like look, look where jimmy's been chicago has been a complete right. mess uh with guard packs <laughs> and then he goes to minnesota so where like tibbs tibbs is just trying to throw everything at the wall and the whole philly situation oh, i mean Jesus. you've got to be craving st uh stability and i know that sometimes <laughs> that frustrates people about the heat but like 
I think it's a, a real benefit on the basketball side. Absolutely. That's a good point about Jimmy kind of going and, and like even now, I mean, the Bulls are in total upheaval. And if like, you know, I know that everybody's really high in Chicago and they beat the Pistons twice, right? So they're four and zero. But I mean, two points against the Pistons. I mean, come on, so the fuck that. You beat Kelly Olynyk twice. Wow. Chill. Yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> but you know, like they're they're really all in. They had a really young core of guys yeah. and picks, and that's all. Everything from the Butler trade is gone. They just have Levine, who's you know gonna be a free agent and if he if he walks if you know if they have a disappointing season if he walks and and then what jimmy i mean i guess one of the picks was wendell carter which then became uh you know vucevic so i mean you you see like kind of the the decisions made you know from a, a star's departure to now and and then how that really different because people stars don't leave the heat ex- except except for the one that, that did um and then obviously the Dwayne debacle but he came back and, and that that shit was that shit was so cool. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a Dwayne Lifer. Uh, Siobhan, let's listen. We I, we're 20 minutes in, and we got to get into what uh, this the fight the, the not the fight the argument that never that <laughs> nobody uh, nobody in the internet knows except for the, the 12 of us in the Heapy group chat. So, Markeith Morris is uh, the backup power forward for Miami, and uh, I I think. He's been a little up and down from preseason to now. Obviously, played an incredible game. And I'm going to start with my position, and then we can get to yours. I'm not crazy about him at that spot for Miami because I value the spacing that a, a more stretchy wing provides. I think Markeith provides some toughness. And I do think that there are places for him to succeed, as you have tweeted out, You know, kind of his operation and pick and roll with Deadman you know, as a spacer in those sets, especially because Dwayne has been a more willing shooter this season. You kind of hope that that keeps up. Um, you know, I just look at Markeith. I think Markeith's defense is really good too. And I think part of Tyler, if Tyler's going to be this good, you just need those bench lineups to survive. Because it's probably going to be like Tyler plus, you know, whether they settle on it's Jimmy or, 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 uh, or Lowry with him, right? So you're going to have, you know, Tyler with one of those two guys. Uh, right on cue, right on cue, baby. <laughs> so you just need Markeith to help you survive. You need to put enough offense out there to, to you not. So, you know, I understand the benefits of him. I just don't. I look at him as a as a negative floor spacer, and I think the playoffs that starts to become incredibly tenuous. And you, you know what I mean. So that's kind of my thing with Markeith, mm-hmm. and I know that you know you're a little higher on him than me. So my thing with Markeith is that. Um, I think that you are thinking about spaces that like aren't already there for him to take and to be effective in. So like, yeah, I, I understand the value of wanting, um, you know, a four that can maybe stretch the floor a la, I guess, a Kelly Olenek-esque type of figure. However, it's not like Markeith is, um, is, is not finding space on the floor in the actions that they run that they do anyway. Um, I actually just managed to um, get out my thread about like the good, the fine, and something in about what we've seen from from Marquise. But a lot of the good is him operating in the same areas that like a Bam does. Bam's not going to be your floor spacer, and the two of them may or may not play much together. I think that's where you have you know some contention. If you have like a lot of Keith Bam minutes heavy, then I can see where you you know can say that your your lane or whatever gets clogged, but. 
Um, the guards are coming off of, of off of the pick and rolls, and they're either stopping and popping or like trying to be effective at the nail, you know, at the elbow area, or they're they're dumping it off to to a Marquise who's taking the same shots that I know I lamented Bam all last season for not taking. And so, you know, I, I understand the value in having someone that can create um, more space to operate, but it's not as if he is necessarily clogging up the space that they want to operate in. I like think you, I you, you need them to kind of survive. You don't need him to go out and like wow you. You need him to be steady. There's spaces that he can be steady in mid-range and they have a lot of, you know, screen across the lane actions that he can be steady and effective under the basket. Danny, do you think I'm too harsh when I said uh, I want Markeith Morris excommunicated? That is what he said <laughs> in the chat. <laughs> that that might be a bridge too far. I mean, I, I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle here. Markeith is like fine. He's your backup for on a minimum contract who is tough. And when Mo Wagner or Mo Wagner, excuse me, started trying to start some shit yesterday, like he put a very quick end to that. And I, I do think like some of the culture right? can get, yeah, exactly. It can get a little bit overrated, but last year we were a little soft. You know, I don't think Mo Harkless is going after anybody like that. Um, no. So, Except on Twitter. Except yeah, on Twitter. He has just, quick with the Twitter fingers. After he misses the playoffs, yeah, and uh, then he starts talking <laughs> shit. But, uh, but yeah, I think, like, Keith is fine. I'm not a huge fan of a yeah. guy that just hoists a bunch of jumpers from 18 feet. But the regular season is very long. I have a lot of faith that eventually they'll be able to find someone to plug that role. Um, they've done it each of the last two years with Trevor, Jay, uh, Andre, and and even, like, uh, Heat Beat uh, legend Solomon Hill. So uh, something's <laughs> I think I think – Right of the pot. Yeah, something something will pop something will pop up and something will shake loose. I, they're they're not like I don't think invested in Marquise being a big piece going forward. And I, while I share like gee, I share your a lot of um, you know kind of thoughts about the the playoffs with him. I don't suspect that Keith is going to be part of that playoff rotation. I, I could be wrong, uh, but I, I think that that's they're a like a way away, to, Danny. Yeah, like if they get like in my eyes, <clears throat> I mean, I think ideally I'd want PJ. Maybe not PJ off the bench, but I'd want PJ playing the second most minutes at the four because I think if you upgrade now, upgrade might be tough because that right. kind of position is the most valuable thing in the league right now. And they're not really available, right? Because you know, like a guy like Gallinari, just not available right now. Rudy Gay, not available. They're on all these guys are on good teams that are trying to win. You know, that's why I always talk about Harrison Barnes. You know, by the way, sneaky Harrison Barnes season right now. Let me tell you something. He's really balling out. <laughs> Been saying that. I've been saying it for years. And, uh, you know, you look for you look for guys that might be available. But, like, teams like Sacramento, man, that's a young team. They're trying to win games, right? And, and Miami doesn't have – you know, this is one of the first years that the Heat don't have a bunch of mid-level contracts to just throw at shit, yeah. right? You have Duncan, who's on really the only tradable contract, right? Because, I mean, at this point, I mean, you you got to keep Tyler at the production uh, with his money, right? Like, so, you know – and, by the way, you just can't trade Tyler for anything because that money doesn't match. So, you have – Lowry, Bam, and Jimmy, which obviously you're not moving. And then, you know, you have a bunch of, you know, minimums. And then you have, like, Duncan, right, eating your cap. So mm -hmm. it's – it's I do think that – I agree with you. I mean, if they get a bio guy, and I, I hope that that's, like, kind of the plan. And it seems to be because they did leave the roster spot open, right? Yeah. So that would that would suggest to me and, – and I know we've talked, in, you know, in our group chat too about, like, bring a guy in like Isaiah Thomas or bring in, like, somebody to play back a point guard. But I think that they've – I think they've uh, listen. I think if Wall becomes available, they absolutely jump on that. But you know, I do think that they're saving that spot for someone who kind of they feel could be a legit difference maker, not the roll of a dice. 
fair. I guess. Right. I, I agree with that. I mean, I've tried every combo of, you know, see, like on the trade machine to see who's out there. But I, <laughs> but I, I do think like, you know, it's the same thing that they did, you know, with uh, with Joe Johnson a few years back. Um, I, and Trevor obviously was not a buyout last year. We had to swap out the guy who shall not be named. But Redacted. Um, yeah, Redacted. but uh, but if not, he would have been bought out, too. And that, that's kind of, you know, he maybe he would have gone somewhere else. But um, but I think that, that that's been kind of their their plan the last few years. And I suspect it's probably a similar one this year. An opportunity will present itself, whether it actually is worth it or not will be interesting. Um, and also kind of see the, you know, it's not my money, so I don't really care. But, uh, you know, the luxury tax implications are obviously very real, especially if you get a good year um, from Vic and want to sign him to a you know, multi-year deal. So I don't know. They got a lot of things, um, you know, in play. But I, again, I suspect they've, they've done it time and time again. They've done it the last couple of years. They'll find someone who can play that 3-4, kind of be a little bit stretchy and, and make things easier, I think. But then also, like a couple of years ago, they wanted Markeith. I don't know. I can't remember if it was Markeith or Marcus. But they were after one of them, and then whatever you know went down. Marcus. Marcus. Okay. Okay, that's fine. The good, the good one. <laughs> that's what I say. Well, like even the good one. So I, I've, I, I always call. You know, how do we get both bad twins? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, that has to be the first time. Caleb is happened. the worst of the bad twins. I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. He's the the other one's better. What's he? What's it's uh yeah. And then Cody. obviously. Yeah, Cody. It's hard. No, wait. Yeah, Kato, Kato it, and Cody, Martin. Oh, so there's because there's the Zeller twins too. There's a Cody Zeller and there's another Zeller, right? Yeah. yeah. There's too Tyler many. Zeller. And they were also Hornets. Tyler. Yeah. Oh yes, my God. They were. Too many too many Cody twins on the Hornets. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um yeah, I'm surprised that by the way, that 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 uh, that that Martin hasn't played. I thought he might have a little bit of a role, but it, it just and, and Gabe, by the way, too, like when they're all like locked and loaded, like Keith's the last guy, yeah. and they yeah. they've cut that bench real real short, which is weird for a Spo team so early. He loves to just kind of <laughs> throw his hand in the bag and see what works. And but Danny, that's been like kind of surprising that they're like they're kind of like eight men right now, eight nine men. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see. I you know I think the way that the preseason gets approached now is a little bit different than it was uh, a few years ago. And so I do think that this first like 10 to 20 game stretch probably is a little bit more of a feel out period than in years past. And so we had what, maybe one preseason game where, where the starters all played. Um, and so, yeah. you know, I think you, you, you get, uh, you shorten your rotation, see what you got now. And then I wouldn't be surprised to see it expand a little bit as we get into December and kind of the slog of that, the middle part of the season where you want to start get, getting guys, you know, nights off, um, but I, th I think for right now, I think Spo just kind of wants to see what he's got. Um, and it's, I, I happen to like Gabe. I don't really think that, you know, he's necessarily pressing for minutes right now. Um, but Thanks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we so all so like I think Gabe. they want to get off to a good start, right? I feel like we didn't get off to that great of a start last season. And so, like, let's get off to like a good to decent or decent to good start. And then, you know, like you said, in the slog of the season, start playing with things. And their schedule's like, fucking brutal off the start i mean they open mm -hmm. against the bucks at indiana is not an easy game you get the magic mm -hmm. and then pretty much after that i mean they play the nets right and then they they play denver like next week too and they play the mavs and they play the celtics and yeah. you know a bunch of road games so the it's Jets, like their schedule the Grizzlies, the Hornets. yeah oh that at grizzlies game danny that's a fucking l we talked about <laughs> it in the group chat this your, your face listen we've watched yeah. basketball for a long time that's a fucking l I'm just chalking that out. I'll have something else to do that night. <laughs> it's just, 
there's certain games that you know, like, no, that's it. You know what's funny? I talked about this. I don't remember if it was a pregame show or where. That at Sacramento game has been, like, kind of testy lately. Like, they, like, never win at Sacramento or at Minnesota anymore. It's so weird. <laughs> it's hard to win road games. People just make, like, think it's easy. <laughs> it is not fun. I got to do, a, like, a little bit of that traveling, and that stuff sucks. You get to town at 3 o'clock in the morning, and if it's a back-to-back, you got to be, like, up and ready to go. It comes to, like, uh this team kind of reminds me a little bit of, of two years ago. I'm not saying they're going to make the finals, but just beat the crap out of really bad teams uh, on the road, kind of hang and hang and beat, you know, beat teams that are below you. And it's going to be a, a tough slog with, with good teams. Um, but that was kind of the, that was the blueprint uh, back then. I think it'd be kind of be similar this year. Yeah. I mean, that's, I just, and, and their health is going to be like of, of note this year as well. Like Absolutely. You know, how many Lowry, especially, right? Like, I think that's, I mean, there's not much to be said there. It's just, you know, and, and, you know, we don't have enough sample yet because, I mean, the numbers right now are unfair. Like, you know, if you look at Dwayne Dedman's on-off stats, the Dwayne is Dwayne Dedman without Markeith. They're like plus 33 <laughs> net rating. So, like, everything's, you know, we're still three games in, and two of them were, like, monster blowouts. So, like, nothing makes sense. But I want to look at, like, the Heat's pace numbers with and without Kyle. Probably when we're, like, 10, 10, 15 games in kind of really want to see because i mean i feel that siobhan they have such an initiative to run and to play fast and that's just not a spo thing right. even when he claimed we're pace in space right they were one of the slowest teams in the league but kind of kyle's reinvigorated them in a way they're, they're playing quick they're getting up and down the floor and <clears throat> no more hand- handoffs take for i'm starting to realize handoffs just take forever to set up yes <laughs> forever <laughs> So, so about, you know, Kyle and pushing pace, right? So, yes, they, they have been, you know, a bit uh, reinvigorated to get up the floor. But um, I've said this a lot in the group chat, too. Like, there's a difference between, like, the type of pace that Miami can play with currently and, like, a Hornets type of pace, right? Like, a fucking race all night, like, back and forth. Pew, pew, pew. Those That's kids not- scare me then they should because they can do that. They can maintain that. Miami, I think, needs to find a balance between um, the lies that that Spo told us about being fast and when we really were just walking up the floor and kind of what Kyle is um, enabling them to do now. Kick aheads, you know, leaks and runouts are, you know, good outlet passes, fantastic. But like a lot of like pounding the ball dribbling coast to coast that's not what this team is it's not what this team has ever been and i don't want them to lull themselves into or like fans to get into this idea that that's the type of pace that this team needs to play with um but yes with kyle and with the look aheads and the leak outs um yeah like you said we're getting easier points um we're not getting into the action of the offense with like 11 seconds left and now bam has to shoot some bullshit like we're you know, either getting quick looks or we're able to set up quicker. And so we're getting, you know, more efficient looks that way. I think Bam's th- also been like, go go ahead, Danny. Say, and, and I think we have a lot of guys who get their hands on the ball a lot, right? And yeah. so, yeah. like last night, the second that, I mean, Dwayne had a couple of really nice strips, uh, those mm-hmm. long-ass arms just poking it out. Whoever gets the ball is immediately looking up and going. And 100%, yes. there, you know, there's some tie-in from, from Kyle's influence there. And obviously, when mm-hmm. he's on the floor, he's going to do that. Uh, but I think it also kind of takes, like, skill to make those passes, right? And so yes. someone like Kendrick Nunn cannot 
like throw yeah. a pass that leads to an advantage in any situation, let alone on the break. Uh, we've seen Tyler throw a couple of really strong hit aheads, um, both already this season. I think my favorite pass that he's ever made is that bounce pass against the Celtics to close him out um, to a cutting mm-hmm. Iggy. And it, it does, it, it takes a little bit of extra understanding. Um, and I think you look around the floor and who's getting the minutes for the most part for the heat now. And it's a lot of like really high IQ guys, guys who yeah. understand where everyone is at all times. Uh, I think Jimmy's a really good example of that. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a surprise that you're going to get out there and run when, you know, it feels like every five possessions, someone's getting their hand on a ball somewhere and it's off to the races. And then they're swarming to those loose spots too, like Deadman or like get the initial strip, but he doesn't get the steal, but he gets like yeah. the initial poke and then he's gone and is relying yeah. on one of the other ones to secure it, knowing that they'll look ahead. I thought it was really interesting too last night and the magic were just trying to find Jimmy with like such small guys, but they were really, they were positioning Jimmy um, pretty far up the court on basically every um, either like sideline out of bounds or free throw situation. And it felt like they hit him like three or four times on those kind of like fade patterns um, over the top. So it's an easy way to just kind of generate quick looks. Uh, And again, you have to have someone that can throw that pass. And we just haven't had many of those guys love Goran to death. He's also not one of those guys who's, who's uh, attacking the defense that way. So they have better personnel for it this year. They can. They have a real chance to be like one of the best transition attacks in the league. For what you're saying, I mean, they threw like I don't know how many lobs to Jimmy. He looks spry, running down the floor, getting up the leak out. Something that I like that they're doing this season, and it's a product of them playing drop. Is they could keep a guy out at the three point line to collect those long rebounds, right? So they do. They they're still. A help team from the corners that's just that's just what spo's been doing lately and so you know they're gonna be a team that yields threes particularly from the corners they will contest but when those miss and you get the before when they would miss those everybody's crashing the boards because your defense is in rotation and you have unfavorable switches now you know you're in a drop everyone's kind of where they got to be and they have pj usually at the top so he can kind of collect that rebound you know and then they they can start leaking out and going that thing's just like incredibly huge for them and it kind of shows that you just bring kyle in and he just does a couple of the things you really need and it really settles because like they were an awful rebounding team last year and bam was under 10 rebounds man we know that bam's a good rebounder this is no you know what i mean this he's always been a good rebounder and that was just a weird season and because of the product of the over switching um they still switch like guard stuff which i like right and i think that in the playoffs they're gonna have to go to that you know, like, especially, I mean, I think the Nets, by the way, you know, uh, Siobhan, you know, when they play the Nets, I mean, that's going to, that one, that's something I'm going to be looking for. Like, are you switching stuff? Like, okay, Bam's going to be on whoever the five is, and whether it's Claxton or, or LaMarcus Aldridge or Blake Griffin mm-hmm. or whatever the hell is is playing the five for them and those minutes. Are they going to switch Bam onto KD? I, I'm curious on that because, like, that's a potential playoff opponent, and I want to see how that looks like. It is, but I think you acquire a PJ and you bring in a backup in a in a Marquise to kind of handle Kevin. Um, PJ being able to that, those are not bad options. They're not bad options, um, and I and I think you know that's what you. I think that's kind of what you what you want, right? When we played Milwaukee. Um, you know, traditionally, like for whatever reason or whatever the lineup machinations were, Bam wouldn't be matched up with Giannis. But we played, you know, Milwaukee this season and Spo let that be the matchup. And so I think he does keep Bam on their center and at least start the game seeing what he has um, with the combination of a PJ or a Markeith or, you know, whatever else um, dealing 
dealing with KD. I also think that Kyle's going to be important in that game um, as far as, you know, defense at the guard spot with between the Nets game and um, and the, the Hornets coming up, right? Like, I think being able to contain, um, at least to an extent, these dynamic guards out front do a lot to um, – you know, bring down the the necessity of having to switch Bam out to anyone else other than a five, maybe the four. So in that in that Bucks matchup, Giannis did start at the five. So that's that's kind of right. <laughs> it kind of forced it kind of forced him into it. Um Danny, I think that their that their uniqueness in the way that they play defense is that they can play a drop at a level that I think they can be the number one defense in the league. I legitimately think that they have I mean I just watching it. I mean again Three game sample, like, but I just think that they have the personnel if they're healthy enough that they could be the best defense in the league, and you could do that with a drop. And if it comes time to the playoffs, you're like, okay, we can have Oladipo, Jimmy, PJ, um, Bam, and Lowry, and we could switch everything yeah. they want. Like, we'll switch everything. We'll be, we'll be like, and, you know, maybe you don't want to switch Oladipo onto onto KD, but if it does happen, you know, I, there, <laughs> there's been worse, there's been worse yeah. stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> No, for sure. And I think like it's pretty clear that the that the what or, I, I should say I think it's clear that what's gonna ha- what's gonna end up happening over the course of regular season. We are, we are gonna see a lot of different looks from Spo just to kind of see how everything reacts. I think playing the drop is besides the fact that everyone looked so exhausted at the beginning of the Buck season last year after running around uh, switching everything for six months after like yes. that finals run. I we think never that, talk about that enough. Yeah, that was a mess. Everyone was hurt. Everyone was tired. I mean, yeah. Jimmy's back, whole back thing gets, you know, completely glossed over towards the end of the year. But but I'm, I'm curious. I think that you'll see a lot of different looks thrown um, Katie and, and James Harden's way. I mean, you can't give James the same look a couple, like two, three times in a row. I think he's going to pick you apart that way. Um, and I think that, you know, all the names that you mentioned, especially as you get towards the postseason when everyone's going full throttle, like, there's a reason why they're trying to find and you know find and fill out with like long, lanky, uh, strong guys who can survive on a switch. Like no one's going to stop Kevin Durant. Uh, you know we saw that happen like last year with you know against the Bucks. Like the best defensive team in the NBA, they can't do anything with him. But you just got to kind of try to survive. Um, and I think they've built themselves out to a point where they got a lot of like strong dudes who are thick, like pretty wiry, yeah. and will just give him at least a little bit of a hard time or an extra elbow in the rib cage if that's what's necessary. So. <laughs> I think for what it's worth, too, right? Like, so Gabe is or what he isn't offensively. But there were times um, during the during the Nets matchups last season where Spo was comfortable by putting Gabe on James. James, like a KD, you're not going to stop. You're not going to hold those guys to, you know, single-digit numbers. But I think a, someone like a Gabe, um, a Max who's kind of big and, and strong and physical, I think, you know, they can give them issues a bit um duncan's gotten a bit better or a lot better positionally duncan's still not the best one-on-one defender against you know dynamic guards but i think that they do have um you know enough pieces to where they can mix and match and do some things to come out effective duncan has to work on having quicker hands because i think he's just <laughs> never gonna be able to like be a a lockdown guy i think he's a lot better i think he's like he an is. average defender because of how how well he rotates Right. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's like really half the battle. It's just when they're going to isolate you. And that's where it becomes an issue, right? When they start hunting you and and put you on an island. The Pacers were hunting him. Chris Duarte or whoever that guy is, they were seeking him. Him and Tyler. I mean, I was in overtime that they were just, I I mean, it was Brogdon. And they're like, where the fuck? 
yeah, we're like, where the fuck is Tyler Tyler Hero? <laughs> and uh, that went really bad. And I felt bad for Tyler because he had such a good game. Uh, and I like to be a hater, but yeah, I mean that I felt bad for I felt bad for Tyler because I mean he's too small. But for Duncan, like I think if you can develop like some Igadala, I mean obviously Andre is a fucking savant on defense, but like you know some some quick reaches to kind of do some disruptions. I think he tries. This is why he fouls a lot. Um, so I mean that's just like an ebb and flow that that you kind of hope that he learns a little bit. Let's get into struggles now that you brought him up. Uh, Danny, are you worried? Because I'm not worried. I think last season he started off a little slow too. Um, you know, let's not forget that he's played every single minute <laughs> of it, like every single game rather. Uh, you know, since he became a full time starter, so you know, I think he might you know might need to get his legs under him a little bit. You know, after the off season, he was always in a rhythm, right? So he had like the the the, the stoppage bubble and then right back into it. So I'm not too worried. I don't know. I know I want to get to Savans after your take, but like, are you concerned? No, if Duncan hits two more th- like wide open threes that he's had the last couple of nights, then all of a sudden he's shooting 40% from three and nobody gives a shit. Um, back, baby. So, yeah. So I, I think Duncan's fine. I think it was interesting. Um, last night at the game, uh, Kyle was actually giving it to him pretty good uh, after an offensive possession where he didn't like um, how, how Duncan um, came around the screen. And I think that's another thing, like the whole, he got every- fouled. Uh, yeah, and like just every, yeah, I every, know exactly what you're talking about. Every function and machination of the offense is just a little bit different. And Duncan was like such a centerpiece or a central focus last year that I think it's going to take a little while to, uh, for him to get accustomed to it. And then wasn't he bitching about the ball, uh, the new ball? Uh, to, I think to Barry, uh, he was saying he could tell the difference. Yeah, between like the Wilson ball and the Spalding ball. So like, there's a like, difference. Oh my god, there's a difference. So I didn't know that. Every I ball that they feels different. <laughs> yeah. And so I think like, that's like a really, it sounds like a really dumb thing, but for someone yeah. who is, his, has his hands on the ball for only a split second, every time, like any little change that could be a little bit wonky. So I would have cut him a little bit of slack there, but yeah, I just think like you're dealing with small samples, the, the you know, three pointers, high variance. He takes a lot of really tough ones. If two more go in, he's shooting 40%. Everyone's talking about how Duncan's off to a great start. Instead he's eight for 25. Like I'm not too concerned. That's a great point. Siobhan, are, are you, are you a little worried about, about, about Dunk? So I am maybe worried isn't the word, but I it's noticeable. Um, and so you, to your point, Danny, about you know him shooting a lot of contested threes. Again, I've said this before too. Like last season, he shot better from contested than he did from uncontested. And so my thing though with that this season is that I think that has to change a bit because of the variation and all of the things that they can do offensively. I think he's going to get more open looks than he's used to. And that that's something for a shooter too, to like have a guy like sprinting past your face and, and still have a feel for the ball and get it off. And then to like kind of all of a sudden be more open than you're used to. It's kind of like, oh, oh shit, I'm, all right. Um, and so I, I think that I, for me personally, I want to see Duncan hit a bit more of his open looks. Because it's not like he isn't getting, you know, the same number of looks. They're just coming differently, and that's fine. They're going to come different with um, the style of offense that they're able to play now. My issue with Duncan, though, is that, you know, kind of when those threes aren't falling for you, there is space on the floor to get other things. I would love to see a one-dribble pull-up from Duncan. He's coming off of, you know, these these pin-downs and so used to flying around the horn, around the top of the key. There is area. There is space in that kind of like elbow area to, you know, maybe loosen the defense up a bit. Um, and so I, I'm not worried, but I'm not like, it's not nothing for me. The um, 
what was it like Levitar? What show was it where it was like, you know, something, nothing or everything? It's not everything and it's not nothing for me personally. It is something to be, um, for me personally, at least to be cognizant of. NFL football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore because Tick Pick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one that you'll need for your go-to NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that all those other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best price on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And you know I've already used TickPick. We have the Atlanta Hawks coming into Miami to play the Dolphins. I have a friend of mine coming into town. And you know we have to have our chance to win an Atlanta Sports Moment Meltdown live. So we got on TickPick. We got our stuff. We're ready to go. I'm excited. Now just visit TickPick.com slash HeatBeat today and use the promo code HeatBeat to save $10 off your first order on NFL tickets.